I would like to give an extra special thanks to the sponsors of today's show, Josie the Mountain Troll, Pamela, and Seashaw. Thank you so much. We truly couldn't do this without you. Southern Bramble is a Patreon-supported podcast. If you would like to support the podcast and gain access to early, unedited video footage, listener questions, or be thanked by name, you can find us at patreon.com slash southernbramble. You're listening to Southern Bramble, a podcast of crooked ways. I'm Marshall, the Witch of Southern Light. And I'm Austin Bane X Bramble on Instagram. Marshall, how are you today? I'm broken. I know. <laughs> I'm broken. Broke toe, I huh? did. I broke my toe on Fourth of July. Um, I feel like that's got to be a country song. Broke my toe on the Fourth of July. That's right. Probably not slamming a Bud Light, but whatever. <laughs> I was, yeah, I was gonna say something about like Mama's in the kitchen, something like that. You know. Yeah, mom was. In I the can kitchen. pull themes. I, I appreciate that. Growing up, my mom had a uh, this like framed sign in the kitchen on tiles. It was like written, painted on. It was hand painted on tile. It was gorgeous and cursive, mm-hmm. and it was our our um like our house kitchen slogan. And it said, "No bitchin' in the kitchen." <laughs> oh, I love that. Mm-hmm. I love that. Uh, do you remember all the early 2000s decor like the wine mom decor where it's like i hate my kids until i have my wine oh my favorite one is um i think i have it literally oh i have several of these up they're signs absolutely from like off hobby lobby not even hobby lobby off hobby lobby like some things that probably get up in a warehouse somewhere like um you can't make everybody happy you're not pizza (laughs) <laughs> yeah very that very that uh-huh or there's like a skinny girl inside but i can usually shut her up with cookies uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah the early 2000s it's like um mild fat shaming but in a really funny oh, way like oh. absolutely 100 percent. Mm-hmm. yeah and i'm here for it mm-hmm. all of my little signs have something to do with food in general um that's a me thing <laughs> that's fair that's just fair and, and speaking of things that are edible and uh, especially wine that makes us happy mm-hmm. what are we talking about today marshall we are talking about potions 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 i was i was thinking of a, a way to make that rhyme and i, I know right um potions oceans emotions you know what it's oceans. okay lotions um yeah, I've, I, whenever I think of potion, honestly, out of all the things that pop into my head, I really think of Hocus Pocus. I was, you know, writing mm-hmm. this brief this morning, the thought crossed my mind, especially the word. I mean, potion, uh, I feel like potions are really enigmatic of the witch. Like when we think of a Absolutely. witch, I think there are a few things that come up uh broomsticks maybe Uh for some Mm -hmm. uh cauldrons yes Um, synonymous with potions right uh conical hats Mm -hmm. um uh striped stocking stockings um but i feel like the potion is 
also very present for a lot of people. It is for me. Yeah. Well, Speaking- it's very iconic. It's very iconic. Like when I say I think of Hocus Pocus, I think about a lot of the main scenes that kind of like reverted or counted on the prop of the potion. So like the very beginning when the sisters are, 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 are you know, brewing that first potion, they're just, and, and when he's like, um, sisters, gather around. One thing more, and all is done. A bit of thine own tongue, and then they literally they, they, they part literally, of their tongue off. They, they chew a part of their own tongue off and spit it in, and it's like the activating ingredient. And at the end, um, like uh, when Max knocks over the potion, and and when he's like, "Look, there's just enough left for one child." And and like like you have to understand Your this Winifred is really Henderson's really good by the way. Thank you, thank you. One child, and I really really like it. Um, I really appreciate the way in which this potion moved the story. I also like the way in which it starts off purple and upon activating turns green. I feel like they really really depicted the witchiness of potion making, and I think it's really cool. Just kind of like the fact that it's stuck in our head from childhood. Yeah, and this is going back, I mean, way farther than Macbeth, but of course, I I think a lot of people are familiar, at least with part of the, I've been on a whole Instagram rant about (laughs) um, this, the witches from Macbeth, you know, uh, double, double toil and trouble, fire burn and cauldron bubble, Mm -hmm. uh, wool a bat and tongue of dog, uh, et cetera, et cetera, going so on and so forth. really enigmatic i think the witch's potion but it, but it's even older and we'll get to talk to some of our our filter foremothers mm-hmm. uh, uh later including uh Kirke and julia tofana um oh definitely i actually i love that you brought up uh the macbeth witches because i've been doing um some kind of like spoofs lately of old woodcuts and pieces I've of art them. on instagram yeah. there was one i actually just posted yesterday <laughs> It was, it was, um, it was a scene. It was a painting of the three witches directly from Macbeth. It's a more Renaissance looking painting. And it's like, which one? Eye of Newt and Toe of Dog, Wool of Bat and Tongue of Frog. Which two? No, you stupid bitch. It's Tongue of Frog and Toe, uh, it's Toe of Frog and Tongue of Dog. Now I have to start all over again from scratch. Which one? I'm sorry. Triple, triple, toil and dribble. God damn it. <laughs> It makes me think of when uh, Katya Zemolochikov says, uh, you know, if you if the potion calls for baby's blood, uh, just dump the whole thing in there. It's it's not like three drops of, of baby's blood, two hydrogen <laughs> and one oxygen molecule or atom creates uh, the perfect uh, formula. But yeah, why, being... why bother having to extract the whole, the blood? Just throw the whole baby in. Right. <laughs> it doesn't matter until it does. Until it does. I am doing a uh, lecture on the witch's art of potion craft at the mm. Salem Witchcraft and Folklore Festival. Right. So... We've been wanting to talk about potions for a while, but this mm-hmm. feels extra timely I agree. and I'm excited to break into it. So Marshall, can you tell us what a potion is? Absolutely. I think definitions are a great way to start a conversation. Um, the Oxford Dictionary definition of a potion is a noun and it's a liquid with healing, magical or poisonous properties. That's it. 
that that, that truly is. I think dictionary.com adds one more thing. And instead of saying liquid, it says a, it, I think it says something that can be drank or a liquid, like literally just adds one more aspect to it. But across the board, it's a pretty simple liquid with magical properties. And I think that it talking about poison is mm-hmm. is something that's incredibly important here. And this isn't on our brief, but I wanted to just highlight the fact that like a filter or a potion, and you'll hear me interchange those two. I'll mm-hmm. talk about filters in a minute. But this idea that medicine in general mm-hmm. is kind of like this strange thing that people have learned either by transmission sometimes from spirits from other people to other people like it's just a thing that somebody knows Mm -hmm. um and so there's like this wild distrust around it like what what is that weird root that you put in this drink that you're now telling me to to drink that's gonna you know exercise the demons out of my blood or whatever Mm -hmm. um or you know stop my whooping cough um medicine's uh untrustworthy for uh, i i mean we still see that now right that isn't like a new thing this has been going on for a really long time so this idea that uh, a potion might be in all actuality a drug that somebody's slipping to you either mm-hmm. with or without you knowing um oftentimes to procure amorous effects so like lust love um but also to uh kill people um uh, or to cure people sometimes in in instances as well but i think that's where it gets really into the debate of like people saying like oh is it medicine or is it uh witchcraft and and we shouldn't forget that venefica or veneficium uh veni uh, for the uh, venom also being like the the venereal arts the venusian arts so um, I have this kind of idea that like the potion um, or at least the the poison especially the love poison all kind of like filters back to Venus um, mm-hmm. uh, despite being such a oftentimes benefic figure mm-hmm. um, uh, but yeah, so lots of lots of things to think about. What would you would you say a potion? It, do you agree with this Oxford Dictionary uh, kind of thing? I do. I, I very much do. And I think I think a potion is an extremely umbrella term. I have spoken with other practitioners before who have very distinct beliefs around what is and isn't a potion. I have this saying that I've said for years now, and I think it's really cute and I want to put it on a t-shirt. So I'm, I'm coining it now. I've said it um, before you. Um, if you're listening, it. I'm trademarked <laughs> it. Um, I've, I've said like a tea is just a potion in a single serving size. I think because I do believe that potion is an extremely large general umbrella term for a lot of these liquid magics that can be used in our craft. Um, I love this cute little saying, a tea is just a potion in a single serving size, because when it comes down to it, um, it is a magical liquid that can be consumed or maybe not consumed, especially if it kills. I mean, I guess you can consume it once um, if right. it kills you. All uh, things are edible at all, least once. All things are edible at least once. That's absolutely true. I, I, I very much see that this is a, a, a pretty 
a pretty good definition. I think anytime they get more delineated from the general definition, they either are are referring to a very specific culture of thought or just an individual's personal interpretation. And hey, I'm not against people's individual interpretation. I mean, if they're wrong, they're wrong. That's okay. Um, hey, yeah, it's totally fine to have a wrong opinion. <laughs> it's okay to have a wrong opinion. No, but- I actually agree with you. So, so in this uh, this potion class that I'm doing, uh, which you can sign up for at SalemWitchFest.com. Mm. Um, I've been, I was grappling at the beginning of like, okay, so is this something that we're going to strictly delineate as like only drinkable or only edible? Because I think for a lot of people, the idea of a potion draws to mind like a draft or something that you, you drink or you sip, mm-hmm. sip on. Um, and I think that's a very classic way of, of looking at a potion. I still don't know if I'm, uh, you know, a potion is or isn't this thing that has to be drunk, mm-hmm. but for the purpose of my lecture, at least, and also for the purpose of this podcast, I think we kind of opened it up to be, well, it's yes. kind of this ambiguous thing of, uh, yeah, sure, drinking, but there's other there's other ways that potions mm-hmm. or filters have also been talked about in literature, yeah. in classical literature, in myth, et cetera, et cetera, that are more than just something to drink. Yes. Um, there, there's a really great uh, modern uh, example of this. I'm not sure if you've if you've seen the movie Bewitched. It was horrible, but I still I, watched it like multiple you, times. I actually really liked it. No, I liked it, but everyone gave it horrible reviews, and I think people had expectations, especially if they grew up loving Bewitched. But there was there was I really like Nicole Kidman. I love so. Nicole Kidman, and I love any any film, any movie, any depiction of flying, especially if it's flying on a broom. I'll watch it. I love it. I think it's fun. Um, and I don't care how shitty it is. I'm going to watch the movie and I'll watch it more than once. Um, but there is a, a a moment where she is talking with her Aunt Clara sort of character and they're in the backyard and then they're just, they have a boiling pot and they're putting things in for specific things. And when they finish it and they say the final words, there's like a sing and like a spark flies out and goes into the night sky. And then of course is on its way to hit its target, right? No one's drinking it. In fact, they're not even doing anything with the liquid itself. Uh, I think this is a beautiful example of a non-drinkable type of potion that is enacting a spell. Um, The way in which we burn things in a cauldron is a way in which we extract the spirit out of the ingredients we put in it sometimes. When we're boiling things, we are extracting the spirit out of the plant out of the bones, out of the rocks, out of whatever we're putting in there, whether that literally be a written petition on paper that you put in there, a written petition on paper that you burn and then put the ashes in there. Like there's so many ways in which you could build a potion that has no purpose outside of the making and extracting the spirits to cast a spell, especially one, if you're probably not going to want to drink some of these ingredients, you know, I right? Mean, <laughs> they may have a purpose that are not meant to be ingested. Um, some can be, but I just wanted to kind of throw out that little example so people have an idea. I think just everyone has this idea that, well, what do I do with it afterward? I'm like, sometimes the potion is the spell. What you do with it afterward doesn't really matter. I mean, if it's safe, if it's safe, maybe you give it back to the earth. Maybe you pour it out at a crossroads or at a graveyard. Maybe it's not safe for the soil, so you pour it in the toilet or you pour it down the sink, depending on what is most safe for the environment. But uh depending on what your purpose is, you have options here. 
yeah, there's this um, part in the Argonautica. Um, so Medea, right, is mm -hmm. this beautiful uh, Greek witches are always incredibly beautiful. Including... Was she sister of Circe or was she the uh, the like niece or, or aunt? Cousin, niece, multiple things can be can be true and That's right. True. Um, I forgot they're all related. Right, right, yeah, yeah. <laughs> sometimes actually. in multiple ways. Right, sometimes in multiple ways. Um, uh, so she is typically seen as related, um, to in some degree. Cousin, mm -hmm. uh, usually I think is is uh, sometimes niece as well, like you had said. Um, so Medea obviously is this enigmatic figure who seduces Jason with the power of uh, a, a love potion, which um, if you'd like to learn more about that love potion, you can check out my class. Um, sorry not to plug myself a million and one times here, but no I way. am doing it in August. <laughs> um but she uses this, you know, how it's described in the Argonautica to put a dragon to sleep that's guarding the, the apple of, or the orchard of golden apples. Um, and she puts this dragon to sleep by vapors. And it says that it's a, a potion, at least in, in some way, shape or form. It's been translated that way, um, that it's that it's a, a, a potion. And the way that it's talked about, it's clearly some sort of potion, but she sprinkles it with a juniper branch onto the dragon's uh, uh, face. But in the way that it is described is it's not just the contact of the potion, but the vapors, the airs that get into the dragon's eyes that put it to sleep. Mm -hmm. So I think that's a, also a really good way um, similarly to the uh bewitched kind of thing yeah. where it's like this this potion can still act um not just by uh the process of ingestion like i don't mm -hmm. think she wrangled that dragon's head with uh, with her with its neck in between her elbow and held it down and force fed it a, a bottle of sleeping draft you know right right yeah it's interesting i guess i never i i never really considered all of the different ways in which potions could be used as right. such yeah well, I, right, mean, I mean every time you make a, a floor wash you're making a type of potion yeah yeah so i guess at least for the and i think other people can have other opinions and like i said like i, I still no they can't you're right not not here <laughs> not and here. if you do don't tell us about it don't you um, dare <laughs> um I, I think at least for the sake of this uh, uh podcasts that will will be talking about multiple different ways that a formula can be mm -hmm. used Absolutely. as as a excuse me as a potion now do i personally have like delineations between like is this like a magical oil or something like that mm -hmm. absolutely but also at the end of the day it doesn't matter and right well, let's get started. Let's get in some famous potions. Um, yes. I think that this is a great way to kind of like dive in to start with. So um, uh, potions and filters in history. My favorite filter is Hefe, but depending on if I need less warmth, I'll go with Lo-Fi. I'm screaming. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's very funny. Thank you. Thank for that. you. You're welcome. You're welcome. Um, the first one I think is very obvious, and it, it's interesting because most people don't think of it as a potion. We think of it as an ointment, but flying potion. Um, flying potion as a description has been around for a while, and I think a lot of people, when they think of flying potion, they think of something that you are uh, creating to rub on your body, but there are a lot of 
historical documentations of an actual drinking potion. Now, how you go about doing that in modernity might shift or change because a lot of the older flying potions that were described might be made with things that could be extremely toxic, um, really not suggestible to uh, uh, ingest. And in fact, we should probably go ahead and say now is a good time for our medical disclaimer <laughs> yeah, now is a great time to say at the beginning of this episode is um uh some of the things that we talk about in this podcast mm -hmm. are are dangerous and uh harmful and we do not advise encourage or are telling you to do mm -hmm. any of these things that uh, we talk about in this podcast. In fact, don't do anything in this mm -hmm. podcast. And if you do, you don't even listen to us. Don't right, even listen don't to us. Actually, turn this off. Turn right this off now. right now. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, but if you do stay, uh -huh. um, anything that you do in your own personal time is is and and beliefs and whatever is assuming your own risk. So yeah, yeah, unrelated, unrelated. Mm -hmm. But if you so, are uh, drugs, drugs, yes, back to drugs, um, a type of flying potion, and I've actually seen this this done on on multiple suggestions. Uh, you can create a type of drinkable flying potion at home that is less toxic slash non toxic using things like mugwort or wormwood. Um, and also yes. being careful uh, because both of those things also. Yeah. you know, interact with a lot of medicines. And yeah. if you have a um, seizure disorder, they can interact with seizures. Fujian is something you that, that comes naturally in it that has that slight, slight mind and, and body altering experience. Drink it as a tea, especially before going to bed. It's great for lucid dreaming and prophetic dreaming. Um, maybe drink 30 minutes before going into a spell work or ritual. These are things you want to have if you're going to, not when you're pregnant. They may bring on menstruation. Not, um, not if you have any underlying medical conditions, you know. Uh, Don't do it at all, actually. Don't listen to us. Right, right, exactly. Um, but at the same time, it's not going to be like Mandrake and Belladonna and Datura, which you will see in a lot of these historical ointments slash potions with the fat of a baby. Throw in the whole baby as we discussed. Mm -hmm. But flying potions have a long history in, in offering flight to witches, whether that be through spirit work or through just the idea of a folkloric potion that could give you liftoff. So another one uh, that we talk about is uh, Kirky's potion or Circe's potions uh, to turn men into animals. And also, I'm happy you brought up uh, Circe's bath in our in our brief. Um, oh yeah, because I love her 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 devil's bath. I know um, right? is very exciting. Um, so yeah, she she turns swine or men into swine with her potions, and yeah. she she tries to perform this potion on Odysseus. Um, and because he has this magic herb that Hermes has given him from the plant Molly, um, which so many people have went about trying to identify. We're real. I, I forget. There's there is an article where it's like a pretty not definite, Wait, but Somali keeps you from turning into swines because I've been to a gay circuit party. I promise <laughs> you, so it you did want... not. It did not do that. There were a lot of pigs. There were a lot of pigs. Floor. I'm just saying. Yeah, absolutely. I'm just saying. <laughs> I think it's really. So you're admitting that you've been to a circuit party. I have been to circuit party. I have been to a circuit party. We've all, oh, just one. <laughs> 
just one? No, I, I, they're not my favorite things, especially in my 30s. But I have been to several in the past. Mm-hmm. You know, I've done prides. I've done, I've like, done gay cruises. I've done, done international travel. We've all seen Twitter.com, what happens on those gay cruises at the, um, when everyone's standing on the, the large deck, the pool, de- or the, the, the ship deck. Yeah, I know yeah. what goes on. We I've never been on a gay on. cruise. Um. <laughs> off topic but very funny i know um, right so the honeyed wine the honeyed wine <laughs> yeah so uh so she she uh, or i'm sorry uh odysseus has this uh herb molly and there is an article out there that is talking about trying to identify what magical plant it's said to be very hard to pull from the earth um but there are certain plants that do counteract the effects of mandrake and mm-hmm. a lot of these um plants that are used by witches especially in a greek context oftentimes are mandrake or mandragora um we see this again going back to medea when she's talking about using the um prometheus charm as she says is is like this fleshy root that looks like the shape of a man it has black blood um it falls obviously from the the blood of prometheus who's a monster um uh, is also very hard to pull from the ground she has to pray to hecate before she does it um and uh it produces the effects of love mandrake uh for me is uh, like an amazing love inducing plant Mm -hmm. uh because of the effects that it has on the body but because odysseus has this magical molly he doesn't get seduced by cersei and this um not infuriates her what's what's the word i'm it it impresses her enough Mm -hmm. to to be like okay i see you big Mm -hmm. strong man um come to bed with me yeah she's like i'll turn all your men back but only if you take me to bed right only if you give it to me good and mm-hmm. honestly i can relate i'll let you know the what off you I-, I have seen circuit parties in that way right and if you fuck me good i'll take your ass to red lobster in the wise words of beyonce right cheddar biscuits <laughs> <laughs> Um, but so I, I I love that we we're getting into famous potions because Cersei is known for for being famous for potion making. She's she's one of multiple daughters. She's famous for um, having a house on this island, this gorgeous stone mansion, um, where uh, she has a lot of like other servants, other people that come and bring her these these herbs, these flowers, and she has a lot of crushes, let me tell you right now. One of them. I can relate. I know, right? I know, right? Um, I, I could never imagine being this vindictive, though, because... Um, oh, I can. Uh, I, I believe it. I believe it knowing you. <laughs> uh, so, like, here's one. She she fell in love with Glaucus. I'm assuming I'm saying this okay, Glaucus. Yeah. Um, but unfortunately, Glaucus only had eyes for the beauty Scylla. And because she was so jealous, because she was like, fine, if you won't be in love with me, you will have, you will not have your heart's desire. And there are some stories that say that she poisoned the bath or she put a potion in the bath of Scylla. But other stories actually say she gave a love potion directly to Glaucus, telling him, slip this in Scylla's bath and she will fall in love with you with an aphrodisiac. So he does so. Unfortunately, though, this potion actually turns Scylla into a horrifying sea monster who ultimately actually becomes long 
long-term a part of the story of, of Odysseus and the Odyssey because she's one of the sea monsters that destroys these ships back um, back between, uh, uh, I can't remember what the other one's name was. Charybdis. Charybdis, that's right. Scylla or Charybdis. So um, yeah, she doesn't have a very long history with um, uh, being very good with her jealousy. And honestly, once again, can relate. Uh, there is a reason <laughs> for, so uh, in in the lecture that I'm doing, mm-hmm. we go through some of these who show up on our list um, uh, more than more than one of these show up on our list that are in my lecture. But mm-hmm. uh, Kirke is being disliked. I mean, she's, she's revered, she's feared, mm-hmm. um, she's highly respected. And she's beautiful, as opposed to our Roman witches, which come a little bit later, mm-hmm. who typically, they take some of their their Greek counterparts' ability for, like, being rhizomoi, rhizomoi being Greek for, like, um, a, a root cutter, um, or even, like, a pharmacoi, so a knower of many drugs, um, uh, pharmac or pharmakia, obviously, being the, mm-hmm. the base word for uh, pharmacy, Um much later the Roman witches become very ugly and mm-hmm. very uh, also very feared, but still love drugging their uh, poisoning and drugging and giving all things to people who either they're jealous at or want to make fall in love with them. And um, Kirke though is, I think like the OG potion badass because mm-hmm. she knows plant magic very well and she knows how to use this plant magic um which she has received either in in some cases from hecate um uh, being a daughter of hecate or sometimes as uh being uh, a priestess or just also kind of like this badass like proto-witch figure um so yeah i I absolutely love her and love the scylla's bath story and have plenty of um like formulaic ideas of of kirke's bath like a Mm -hmm. cursing bath and that also goes to show another way in which a potion can be made that's not meant to be that's ingested. not ingested yeah transdermal mm-hmm. ingestion is still ingestion you know right very true absolutely yeah julia tofana tell me about it you i think you know some more about these than i do you know more about julia tofana yeah or do you so know more did, about love with song i i know quite a bit about both so i i did a, a lecture back in um march for botanica obscura which you can still find um i believe um and i talk about uh, both of them um julia tofana is in a, a famous italian poisoner for creating um is best known for creating a, po- a poison called aqua tofana mm-hmm. um which is a cosmetic um kind of uh it's it's slipped in a lot of different ways she is uh a poisoner in Italy. Um, I think she was born in Palermo, like it says here. Um, And then it's kind of unclear because a lot of the times people would immigrate um, from Sicily to Rome um, and change their names so that they wouldn't become identified as Sicilian. Remember, there's uh, uh, prejudice against Mm -hmm. Sicilians um, at the time and probably still now. this idea that her mother actually uh, invented the poison and is why she had to leave Palermo 
to Rome and change her name. So it's it gets a little bit confusing, and I won't go into to all of it here, but um, she's this like enigmatic figure who is selling these poisons. She's also a cunning woman mm-hmm. and an astrologer mm-hmm. and a fortune teller of um, and a cosmeticist, similar to another character that we'll get into who comes a little bit later, La Boisson. Uh, she is selling this poison because she's in with like the clergy. So they're in Italy at the time um, or in Rome at the time, women could not go into apothecaries for the very reason that people were scared that they would poison them. Mm -hmm. So only men could go into pharmacies or apothecaries. She had a clergyman go into the apothecary to buy things like arsenic um, for her so that she could distribute it. She had a ring of poison poisonesses, people who worked for her and worked under her to round up her clients. Um, people who worked not not only for like common day folk, but mm-hmm. for a lot of people in the aristocracy. Um, so a lot of people who were like very well-known figures. She would do this by, and similar as we'll see to Love Boy Sun, when people would come to her for fortune telling, whether they knew it or not, you know, they start to eventually talk about their husbands. They start mm-hmm. to eventually talk about how they're unhappy. I would love to get this inheritance powder, nudge, nudge. Uh, an inheritance powder being a, a, a nice way to say, like, can you off him, please? Um, and so she would eventually do this. And how they were distributing the poison was they would sell it in something called the Mana of St. Nicholas, which the Mana of St. Nicholas is a oil or a water actually that sweats from the bones of saint nicholas uh saint nicholas's tomb in turkey um this has actually been studied it's because uh it's close to the water and the marble that it's like the bones are laid on pulls water up from the from the atmosphere and makes the bones sweat but that doesn't make them any less magical just because Mm -hmm. we can explain it scientifically it's said that the 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 water is supposed to be very sweet and smell very good which is why it's common sold as a perfume or an ah. aqua mirably uh, a miracle water um you know for staving off witchcraft disease illness etc cetera, etc cetera. so they were selling it in these like little bottles that were highly decorated mm-hmm. um is is the uh, mana of saint nicholas so what they would do is they would actually put the poison um which i have in that lecture like a full list of like pretty much what i think and how she would go about making it um because quite complex poison at the time but she used of course things like spanish fly um which we'll talk about in a minute uh, as well as a dissolvable arsenic a dissolvable mercury um etc etc it was a really nasty poison yeah and then um it would be able to be slipped into drinks it was tasteless odorless um and would make people very sick and die um, sometimes quickly, sometimes very slowly, depending on how much you gave them. Um, yeah, Julia Tafana, amazing poisonous. Uh, I love her. Um, I won't go into some of the, the, the work that I have done with her, but <laughs> yeah, yeah, very interesting stuff. Tell me about Love with Son. So she, um, is in, she's best known for being, uh, in this 
famous affair called the Affair of the Poisons, which sounds like a really amazing band name or like a really good Netflix special. Mm. Um, <gasps> oh, I think she'd make a great Netflix special. Oh my she? god. Or like a... HBO or Stars right? or something. Oh my god, like... not Stars. I don't have Stars. She's like, no, no. <laughs> Not stars. I don't, I'm not paying for another one. <laughs> oh my god, I know. Um, so she, Lovelyson, has a lot of parallels to Julia Tufana. It's uh, also said that she uses Aqua Tufana to mm-hmm. poison um, people. Uh, all of this stuff is it kind of gets all blended together because we don't actually know a lot about these people. Mm-hmm. A lot of the information that we have is coming from reports um, from police as bodies are piling up um but our record keeping was not as good in the 15th and 16th centuries as it is today Rude. um <laughs> but she's also a fortune teller um she's also like a witch supposedly she's posthumously uh, applied as a witch um her daughter uh, tells the police that um only after she died uh that uh, she would host black masses to Satan in the catacombs of Paris. Um, she's very n- well known for uh, trying to murder uh, King Louis the Fourteenth, mm-hmm. and she would do something very similar to Julia. She would um, meet people through fortune telling. She was a cosmeticist, uh, mm-hmm. firstly, and for well, she was a fortune teller firstly and for mostly, and then she also would do. Um, amazing things like make breast enlargement creams or ointments out of Spanish fly um, and probably arsenic and a bunch of other things. Um, And you would rub it on your breasts and because um, things like Spanish fly cause your tissues to become highly inflamed, um, uh, it would make your breasts appear larger and probably more red and swollen um, and irritated. Uh, but yeah, she would do all of these things. And then eventually she has met this woman named, uh, Catherine, uh, Montespan, who is a member of, uh, the court of King Louis the 14th. I believe she is, uh, like the, the King's official, uh, girlfriend, mm-hmm. uh, side piece kind of thing going on. Mm. Um, and he eventually, uh, she goes to see La Boisson, um, early on in their relationship and he's like she's like you know I want to garner the affection of the king can you make this happen and uh, Lavoisin says yes I can uh, if we do a black mass and this is all after uh, she died by the way um, so she doesn't have any way to uh, she adamantly has always said uh, in her trials or in her um, uh interviews with the police that she's like I don't do black masses um I do hurt people but I don't do black masses I'm not a witch um so she performs this black mass for uh Montespan and then uh for a long time she's in the affection of the king and as she gets older and the king's affection strays for somebody else uh Lavoisin says uh she goes back to Lavoisin and says um uh we need to, you know, fix this. Um, they perform a black mass. It doesn't happen. Uh, supposedly, uh, they they go through all these things, and it doesn't work. The the king is still enamored with this other woman. So eventually, they're just like, okay, well, then I guess we just need to kill him. Um, and so they plan, as one does, to uh, kill the king 
by making him sign a letter soaked in uh, arsenic or um, uh, sometimes also said to be aqua tofana. Um, it doesn't work. And Lavoisan is uh, eventually sentenced uh, to death by hanging um, by uh, trying to kill the king. And then later gets applied uh, to becoming a witch and all the things come out about her about saying that she hosted black masses in the catacombs mm-hmm. of Paris um, and then becomes also a very enigmatic figure. But some of the things that did happen in her real life, she did practice magic of some sort. She would mm-hmm. often uh, say prayers for people. Um, she was arrested outside of church, uh, a church um, that she would go to all every Wednesday. Um, so we know that she was religious to some degree. Mm-hmm. Um uh, I'm sure she was a very good Catholic woman, um, except when uh, God doesn't hear you, then you pray to the devil. Um, it's like all good Catholic girls do. Between and, murders. Right, between murders. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, she was uh, She was known to be a drunk. Um, so the police did not torture her for any of her confessions. They just got her wasted. Ah. Um, yeah, a very interesting figure. She also had... Uh, one of my favorite little tidbits about her is that she obviously was quite not not very she wasn't aristocratic she didn't have a lot of money um but of course she had wealthy clients mm-hmm. but one of my favorite things is that she had this cape which at the time would be very expensive to produce and she called it her sybil cape which was made out of red velvet <sighs> and embroidered with eagles and mm. she she bought it specifically um so we say so we think to give her an air of mystery to her clients a, a bit of fetishization of oh, like yeah. oh you look like you look like this uh you know ethereal a strange figure who's traveled the world and mm-hmm. you know has this like red red cape um old mother red cap old mother red cap yeah there she very, is again very very that kind of thing absolutely and wasn't her ultimate downfall because of that mit- the mistress? Because it didn't work. The mistress was like, whatever, this woman's trying to kill you. I've been poisoning you. <laughs> it didn't yes. work. So it, does, it doesn't work. And then I think the police are highly suspicious. I kind of forget how everything goes down. But like there obviously there's been an investigation going on for a long time anyways, mm-hmm. because people are dying in Paris. Yeah. Um, and so you know, Catherine Montespan has money and she's mm-hmm. part of the court. So she is a lot more protected than Lavoisin is. Um, and eventually it does come back on her. Yes. So it sounds like with just these two examples alone, obviously these weren't the only poisoners or or practitioners or, or potion makers who offered the service. It's interesting because I feel like this speaks to a much larger situation it's very indicative of the time period in which way many women felt extremely like trapped in their marriages um we know factually how many times marriages were about the advantage of the family or or literally about the fact that a family would marry off their daughters and 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 cherish more of their sons during a lot of this time period because uh, we see a lot of really, really unhappy and obviously desperate women killing someone, no matter what time period, always had its, you know, heaviness. So the idea of going to someone and having them, you know, give you a a, a potion that you would then kill your husband with, um, this seems to have been quite a rampant thing going on at the time. 
Yeah. And I don't want to, you know, make it, well, firstly, I don't want to make it sound like it's necessarily a good thing. Oh, right, um, right, right. Yes. Uh, <laughs> make, make sure I'm very clear. We're not talking about the joy of killing your husbands. It's definitely not that book. But also, maybe. Um, <laughs> but, you know, it, it, that's also the thing, too, is I also don't want to uh, overly uh, pacify these women. I mean, a good example is Catherine Montespan. Like, mm-hmm. she just wanted to, she loved the king. And so she wanted to get back at him mm-hmm. until she couldn't have him anymore. And she was like, okay, fuck you. A lot of these women also, too, were like, I my I would like to amass my husband's wealth and if he dies like I'll get I'll get that um both things can be like uh, the women can be abjectly um the abject horror of womanhood where it's like oh you're doing this because you're awful like you're you're not a good person and um it can also be because like oh your husband's awful and you live in a systemic society where mm-hmm. uh uh, men have more power um and i think if uh both both of them can be true and exist at the same time Absolutely. and uh yeah these these women are, are really badass i think in terms of being magical practitioners um they're they're scientists mm-hmm. um they are uh diviners you know, they are service magicians. And and so in my point, why I bring them up and why I have such a love for them too is um, even though you wrote them into the brief, I'm happy you did, uh, is because I think that th- the service magicians, typically when we look at like cunning folk, oftentimes uh, we look at it through the eyes of men where a lot of the books that we have or records that have been kept mm-hmm. from cunning magicians that we use today, for example, like the grimoire of our, the, the manual of Arthur Gauntlet, um, et cetera, et cetera. They're oftentimes written by men. Mm-hmm. And I think these women, unfortunately, don't get the kind of documentation because uh, often they're, they're labeled as, as not service magicians, mm-hmm. Uh, not even necromancers, but just just witches or uh, devil worshippers or in fact, or most of the documentation around them was done by men about them, not them and their own work. Exactly. So yeah, interesting. Interesting. Things to bear in mind. I know, right? Let's get into some um, materia of potion crafting. What do you say? Absolutely. One of my favorite, a very good place to start. My, one of place. my favorite things. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I love a good materia. Um, the most obvious. The most potion forward, a cauldron. So, Marshall, Go are you a cauldron girl? Are you a pots and pans girl? You know are what? You stoking a fire at your hearth before you you brew your tea. Mm-hmm. My electric hearth, my my fake fireplace that's basically just an entertainment center. I'm I definitely that, not. I'm honestly. definitely not brewing anything at that. So if I am going to be like actually boiling something on my stove, like oven top, um, it's it's going to be in a typical pot, a typical pan. It's it's pretty normal. Maybe a double boiler situation if I need to for melting things. But if I am actually boiling to extract spirits, um, I'm doing it in a typical kitchenware. Now, when I'm at my altar and I am burning something, I do have a cauldron for that. I think it'd be super cute to have a cauldron to work with on my countertop. Um, it's just that by the time you get to those huge cast iron pots that sit on an actual like I don't even have like a gas stove so there's not even fire underneath it's just like a hot surface that's electric so like boiling water takes longer imagine if I actually had like legs on it too 
<laughs> yeah. So I, I think that's the funny, the funny thing. And I, I, I'm, I am a cauldron girly, so I'm not knocking it by any means, right, of but course. it is funny because we're, we do cling on to, um, cauldrons uh-huh. when really the reason that cauldrons are so en- enigmatic is because they're, they were a standard form of cooking. Cookware. Like they, this, that may just... be the only thing you had to cook with. And a lot of the times, especially when we get out of like uh, court magicians or people who had money, a lot of the times service magicians or or cunning folk or just regular magical practitioners, they had like one pot, maybe one pot. two, mm-hmm. one maybe, pot. Maybe, and... a, maybe a cup that you put over the fireplace and boil. Right, it. right. Depending on how poor you are. And sometimes you wouldn't even have that, you mm-hmm. know? So um pots are were expensive pots are still expensive yeah i was just looking at a william and sonoma copper pot because i love those and they're you know like five hundred dollars a piece um not that i would buy it i was just looking but um i think it's funny because like you said we have uh flat top stoves now that don't even use heat and it's actually funny because (laughs) if you try and use like a black cast iron cauldron with legs on it. Oh yeah. It takes longer to forever. cook forever for something. Sometimes you can't even get it boiling. I've I've had things that I've sat on on my actual stove mm-hmm. uh that do have legs on them like that. It won't even boil. It it'll get the water very hot, but it will not boil at all. And I think that's ac- absolutely hilarious that we're cleaving <laughs> to this idea because it's ye old timey witchcraft, but it mm-hmm. actually is somewhat impractical sometimes. In modern day, yeah. Well, I'm looking on Amazon right now at like uh, 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 cast iron expensive. Dutch ovens, cast iron Dutch ovens, cast iron pots, things that you would literally put on an actual stovetop. I mean, the minimum I'm looking at is like $50. The maximum is $160 mm-hmm. uh, or $150. Yeah, $160 right here for a 16 quart pre seasoned cast iron. Uh, 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 pot, and, and that's a food safe, you know. Yeah, one. Yeah, for foods exactly, uh, and they're heavy, very heavy. A lot of them are in the forties to sixties, and then the larger ones that you actually like hang over a a actual outdoor fireplace are looking more in the hundred and forties to hundred and sixties. And I'm sorry, I don't need that. I got three pots or pans that I can use from the big box that I got of my housewarming party when I moved into this condo. Like, mm-hmm. they will do just fine. They will do just fine. Mm-hmm. Now, um, for me personally, I use certain materials for certain operations. But mm-hmm. that's also because, like, I can and because I I, I have the ability to. <laughs> and also because... Um, uh, sometimes the plants do demand it, or the the workings do demand it. For some things, um, especially like love magic in general, love potions in general. Um, for me, I think it's really good to use a copper pot or a copper vessel of some sort. Mm-hmm. Um, but also, I would say don't put it in cast iron. For me personally, um, if I were doing it, I would never put it in cast iron. Um, put a copper pot in cast iron or put a, a potion in cast iron? A potion in cast iron, excuse me. A love potion in cast iron. Ah, um, a love potion specifically. Right. 
um, any anything to do with like the veneric the the like Venus or even like plants that are not meant for cursing or harming mm-hmm. um, but I also think that like uh, the ceramic pots are just fine like the mm-hmm. ceramic Dutch ovens or yeah. anything like that you know yeah you can use a crock pot love a crock pot mm-hmm. um, steel also so do you do anything like that or is it kind of just whatever throw it in a pot I'm gonna throw it in a pot. I'm gonna throw it. Personally, I'm also not doing any love potions in this house, so that doesn't matter. Right. True. (laughs) Yeah. True. Um, Stirring tools are another one. Do you have like a designated wand or uh, a wooden spoon or anything like that? I do have a wooden spoon that I purchased, and I would have. I've I've been meaning to actually like burn some symbols in it because I have a little bit of a wood burner, and then I also have a a wand that I had created several years ago out of a tree out back from my own like backyard. It's crepe myrtle. Um and I not shaved. I sanded it all down and debarked it. And it's got like this crook on the top. And I don't use that in liquid. I use that in um like the actual cauldron, whether that be with ash and uh, I don't use like in fire because you know it's wood. But um I will stir things up into a cauldron before I burn it or or whatnot. Uh that's that's a really big one for me. Absolutely. And you know, I also do this thing. This is a little bit getting off topic. It's on topic, but it's a little bit different. It's it's working with with water and it's working with um, uh, herbs or whatever ingredients are going in it, but it's not being boiled. Instead, it's in a singing bowl. So I might take that singing bowl and um, use that that wand to stir it in there to get started. And then I will use this the actual like pedestal of the the uh, the singing bowl that the paddle thing to make it sing. And what's really cool is is you create a quote, quote unquote boiling effect where it starts to bubble and it starts to vibrate those uh, those specific herbs or ingredients that are in there and i will use that singing time period as it is ringing where i might speak the incantation while conjuring the spirits of the herbs that are in that vessel i love that Thank yeah you. the the noise yes um and the vibrations causing it to like bubble up yeah. almost yeah that that's very interesting mm-hmm. so it's a great way of manifesting a potion when you don't have like access to fire or boiling or burning uh-huh. even you can you can take those ingredients you can take a petition that you've written your desire on you can put that all in there together put it in your palm and as it's ringing really get into that motion really get into that trance state as you say aloud what you want maybe you have a pre-written incantation maybe you have a prayer maybe you have a, a specific chant or mantra that you say aloud as you go for it and, and it's not really about how long you do it it's more so the type of feeling and experience you have while doing it it's a way of, of of again releasing those spirits from those plants from that materia absolutely mm-hmm. another thing that some people um and by some people i mean me mm-hmm. uh will have on hand is distillation equipment yes. um and i don't expect i don't think every potion needs to be like an entire alchemical process actually oftentimes i don't 
think it does at all. Mm-hmm. Um, but sometimes it can be really helpful to um, make like hydrosols. Um, I know some people will do like rose water by mm-hmm. putting it in a stock pot, like the petals in a stock pot with some water and then um, making what we would call like a, a, a pot still. Mm-hmm. Um, and putting I've done that before. A lid over it. Yeah. And then putting the ice on top so it condenses into a, a, another bowl that's sitting in the pot. Mm-hmm. Um, it, that's never worked for me. I've been doing really? that since I was, yeah, it's never worked for, for me personally um, to get like the things that I need out of it. Um, so I just went ahead and bought a, a still, like a distill, a distillation unit. Mm-hmm. Um, it's very simple, but yeah, uh, yeah uh, it's also good for, you know, if I want to um, take the, the alcohol out of wine or... Yeah. Or, or things like that and and uh, may or make even essential oils even though I, I do not have the amount of plant material required to right. make a sufficient amount mm-hmm. um but it can you know you can make some cool interesting things with it and with distilling just so people understand how this works um because i've done this before myself with like with rose water as you said um distilling it and and if you already know what it is then then skip over this part but i just want because I didn't know when I first got into understood exactly what it meant to be distilled. It's actually the recondensed vapor from the original water form. So like when I was creating rose water, I took a big pot of of water and fresh rose petals and then a little bowl in the center. And I only let the water go up to, I want to say, three quarters of the way to the bowl. So it wasn't all at the top of the bowl because you don't want any of that water to get in the bowl in the center. And then I'll turn on the boiler, take a you know, a a glass pot lid, instead of placing it on the top, you turn it upside down. So instead of being a dome, it's an, it's a convex dome hanging in there. And then when you put ice on the top of that, that cold meeting the steam, it immediately recondenses all that steam coming up and it drains into the lid, into that bowl that's in the center. So what you've been doing is you've basically created this, this tiny mini home distillery where a single distillery where you are boiling those roses and water you're allowing that steam or vapor to to meet that cold glass above it and then recondense it as it drips into the bowl in the center and then whenever you finish that bowl of water in the center that you've collected is the distilled rose water now what's interesting is because again these roses were from the grocery store they were pink ish maybe like pink and yellow they didn't have a heavy scent no, no they were red they were super super red that's what it was they didn't have a heavy scent in fact I didn't know this, but like deep, intense red roses won't actually be as fragrant as some of these more pinky roses, more of the yellow roses. All roses have a slightly different um, level of, of scent, depending on the species. And I was kind of like expecting this intense, rosy smell. That's not really what's going on there. Um you could, of course, do exactly what you did with a whole actual like small distillery, um, but it's a great way for people to take – there's a really big difference between the tea and the distilled mm-hmm. water of a plant. And yeah. that distilled water of a plant will usually last a little bit longer because there won't be any um, usually like – macrobiotic material within it as much um right. it's only going to carry the pure essence of the plant material that went in there again i'd say the longest lasting would be two weeks in the refrigerator unless you added some sort of preservative like uh, alcohol to it uh, or witch hazel yeah um 
so that's one thing you can do. Now, I've seen that you have some mugs or some special cups that you like to use to sip your tea out of. But do you have any specifically like potion designed cups? Like these are like what I drink out of when I'm ingesting my flying potion or my self-love potion or whatever. Um, I have some, these are just more like decorative. They were from an antique store. They're these really cute. Um, I want to say like little champagne glasses they're not like they're the, the wide lip champagne glasses somewhere between a wide lip champagne glass and a martini glass or somewhere in between oh that. a coupe yes a coupe. and and i will use those for for um water offering offerings as well as to drink um specific potions if that is necessary um I'm trying to think of of are there any like straight up like you know, teacups, coffee cups, or anything like that that I'll drink out of uh, for potions in general. Nope, I don't designate any any special cups for that really, except for those glasses, which are more ceremonial. That's fair. Yeah, yeah. I, I remember back uh, when you had to have like all four element representatives. Oh yeah, back, back in. <laughs> A very telling of uh, when I started doing magic. Um, the the chalice was really important. Mm-hmm. Um, way of wavering importance because some people are like, who cares? Just get a glass as long as there's water there. That's all that matters. Um, and then you know, some people. I I always had like goblets around. I'd always find them at like thrift stores and things like that. So I'd always have very beautiful, uh, but like one only one like cups or, or right. things like that. I wanted to ask you something because this is very important for me for for potions or at least I've had to turn into ones. Marshall, are you a jar hoarder? Are you the, <laughs> are you like a magpie witch? Do you like just hoard little little jars in hopes that you'll use them? Um sometimes I have to admit when I see I actually if I look at my refrigerator now, I have 3 of those gorgeous uh wine bottles with the glass stopper and the rose in the bottom because I'm like I can use this for something. Like I can use this for something. I don't save like every pickle and jam jar, but I do um I do have some like liquor bottles and some really cute mason jars and some jars that I've saved over the years, that's for sure. I, I never used to hold on to them because I was like, oh, I'll just, you know, I'll use it when I need it. But now that I do, um, I do it so often, or like I, I'm brewing things all the time. Um, now I kind of keep thing, those things around in the house. Let's get into some uh, beginner's potions, things that literally we all already are extremely aware of, but maybe never thought of as a potion. As I said before, a tea is just a potion in a single serving size. Um, So let's get into teas. Teas are super, super easy. Literally, they come in bags at the grocery store. And I'm not talking about like your Lipton's. I'm talking about herbal teas, spice teas, teas from around the world, or literally just herbs that you mix together and put in a tea bag or into a a, a a tea filter or press of some kind. Um, I think a lot of us are very unaware that when we get, say, a hibiscus tea from the grocery store, when you actually look 
at the back at the ingredients, you'll also see that, oh, there's also chicory in here. Oh, and there's also a little bit of spearmint. Why'd they add spearmint? This is supposed to be hibiscus tea. And you'll start to notice that a lot of these teas have, have, have very well-rounded, not only flavor profiles, but magical virtues. And, and if you like to look up correspondences, you can actually just buy tea bags that have certain herbs that have correspondences that you can work with in your spellcraft. Um, I think that becomes really fascinating. What do you think about that? Yeah, absolutely. I don't do so much of that myself mm-hmm. because I'm not much of a, a tea drinker. Right. Um, but I do drink a lot of like Earl Grey tea. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I would be very purposeful. Like if I'm making a very specific potion tea, it's not because it's a Tuesday. <laughs> you know, it's it's right. because or I'm maybe because it. it's the day of Mars. Who knows? Right. Right. Exactly. Sure. Um, but. I feel like it's almost the most straightforward idea of a potion, boiling water, herbs that are going to be extracted within, and then I drink whatever comes out after straining, right? Absolutely. An infusion. Yeah. And speaking of infusions, can mm-hmm. you tell us the difference between uh, uh, what is called the simple um, yes. and a complex? Yes. A simple. So this is really interesting. Simples are where we get into like we can also kind of get a little bit more into medicinals. Again, we're not doctors, but these are what they have been called in the past. A simple is where you actually take one singular ingredient, one herb, one plant materia, and you boil it usually for 15 to 20 minutes. Like, uh, mind you, that's when you get into the more medicinal aspect. But the idea is, is that you are taking an extremely concentrated amount of this plant materia and and it's being used uh, to get that heavy, heavy concentration. I think many of us are so used to a potion being such a plethora of things that we seem to think, oh, one plant, that can't be very strong. And I'm like, no, no, it can actually be quite powerful. A singular plant spirit can, whether that's for medicinal reasons or magical reasons, can really carry a potion, especially, I mean, I don't know about you, but... Uh, like when I remember having a fever in the past and I wanted to have some fever, I was going to make a fever few tea. And so I boiled that fever few in water for 20 minutes. Not only did that condense it down because you're evaporating some of that water just right off of the bat, um, that shit was bitter as fuck. It was yeah. so bitter. It was <laughs> so, so bitter. And, and mind you, it, that's what, that's what comes out of the plant. The, that's what is happening with this very specific plant species. Um, when you concentrate it down to that intense level, you're getting the most you possibly can out of that plant. Um, again, don't drink feverfew on a regular basis. There does come some problems. It can cause some issues in the throat and mouth if you're exposed to it too much. If we're talking about medicinals, again, don't take my word for it as a doctor. But when it comes to making a simple and boiling a potion, whatever you may use it for. If I were going to be doing, say, like Scylla's Cursed Bath, but instead of being a cursed bath to turn into a sea monster, maybe it was a bath to, um, I don't know, uh, break a hex or wash away something sticky, sick sticking to me, I would absolutely in a full pot boil down um, a mixture of, say, like hyssop, rue, nettles, and maybe some uh, some black salt. And I would boil that for 20, 30 minutes, really get that concentration out of there. And then of course, strain it and then use that water in the bath that I would then bathe myself in. Um, Mm -hmm. You wouldn't, in my opinion, 
I wouldn't draw a warm bath. Take those ex those same herbs in a sachet or like a, a muslin bag and just toss it into the bath and expect the tepid warm water to do the trick. I would want to really extract those extract the, them those spirits out um, and that would be the difference between a simple a singular and more of a complex mixture which is a mixture of herbs yeah and i think too uh the simple gets lost as uh something really important but also simples are really important especially for herbalists or mm -hmm. especially for herbalists. Using, that's where it comes from uh people who are using them medicinally because also like okay if you isolate one plant mm -hmm. and it has a reaction you can identify okay, this is the thing that we've added in. So we know that we can or cannot work with this plant. When mm -hmm. you start adding in one, two, three, five, 10, 20 different things, right off the bat, you don't know what, what is causing a reaction or mm -hmm. a uh, uh, inter, what is it when inter, uh, drugs interact with each other? An interaction, that's Inter what it is. An interaction. Yeah. <laughs> So yeah, it, that all of these things are so important. Mm -hmm. And of course, there's there's the simple of 20, 30 minutes versus say like a simple tea, which is a little bit more of like two to three minutes. I'll tell you right now, there's a huge difference. Take the, the very same tea bag, brew it for five minutes in boiling water, brew it for 20 minutes in boiling water. The color, the intensity, the flavor, the bitterness or sweetness, depending on what, what, what herbs are in there, that will be a huge difference. And there's a reason why when you're wanting to drink an enjoyable tea, it says only steep for two to three minutes because that same tea will turn bitter if it's too long, will go dark if it's too intense, will change in flavor. So it's kind of like overbrewing coffee, overbrewing black tea. It would be something similar as that, which is why you also see the difference between something as enjoyable as a daily afternoon tea versus this is a medicinal because if you don't drink it you're going to get sick and die yeah i also love a, a cold infusion too for really mm -hmm. delicate things so yeah. saffron um uh i love i use saffron a lot in cooking um and oftentimes people will just take a pinch of saffron and throw it like in whatever boiling or warm liquid that they'll use. But my preferred way of doing it mm -hmm. is to prepare a saffron cold infusion more like days in advance and let it sit in the fridge and the color becomes more like golden. Yeah. It's the flavors more stronger. Saffron It's like cold delicate. brew. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Mm -hmm. I love a cold infusion. And uh, magically, I think that can be helpful too. If say, going back to your curse example, if the curse is a hot, a hot curse or something that mm. is agitating or warming or, or even used with fire, um, and how we go about figuring that out is through divination. Um, so if the, the remedy needs to be propitiated with water or something cooling sometimes it's okay to let something steep in cold water and then take a cold bath um, those are all really helpful too absolutely and i think that actually transitions us into our next one about long brews mm. and, and so can you go ahead. go ahead i was just oh, saying, I was gonna say can you tell me about that yes i can <laughs> <laughs> long brews are really amazing because these are 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 potions that are boiled or brewed for long periods of time. It's not as simple as a few a few minutes in a tea bag or half an hour on the stovetop. It's a it's a it's a commitment to building something extremely potent, maybe a little bit thicker, maybe a little bit stronger, maybe a little bit uh, uh, more 
just have more of a kick or impact. Um, and you can do this multiple ways. Sometimes this involves a pot on a stovetop for multiple days. Now, this doesn't mean go to bed, leave it burning all night long. This might mean you turn it off and then you start again the next day. Or it may mean, it may mean that you continue to boil this down over a period of three days, say like the first day of the full moon, the, the full moon, then the last day of the full moon, or the new moon, if you're going to coincide it with certain moon cycles. Um, this could also be during the planetary hour of this day, or the two planetaries of one day, or say the planetary hour of that planet every day of the week. A lot of these different spells can be built around this, depending on what you're trying to get out of it. And my favorite way to do it outside of cold brews in the fridge is a crock pot. I think crock pot potions. That's a genius, actually. I know, right? A crock pot potion is so under um, underutilized. You can you don't have to clean it. You can use one of those crock pot liners. And it's something that you literally, before you go to work, you turn it on, you let it boil, you come home. If you need to add more water due to evaporation, you can. Um, but, but usually if you start with filling it up pretty high um, and you're doing it for, say, like three days in a row of, of constant boiling, you're going to get something super concentrated when you're done. Never thought about that. You should. Wow. You should. Kitchen mm -hmm. witchcraft was Super just taken. To... This is like the Betty Crocker, the 1960s housewife version of potion making is, oh, honey, just sort of in the crock pot. <laughs> the and Instapot. Can't... Right. <laughs> and if you can't uh, conjure the flames of hell yourself, then store-bought is totally fine. Totally fine. But I mean, imagine if you're like you're working with something planetary, and you take the the planetary square of Venus, and then you want to milk make a love potion. So you draw out a planetary square of Venus on paper, and then you set the crock pot on top of it, and then you start the crock pot the first hour of um, of Venus on Friday, and then from then on out every single day until the next Friday, a following week, you only start the crock pot on the first hour of Venus, which changes daily. So you are making a extreme devotional on the day of Venus and every hour of Venus for a whole week from Friday to Friday. And when you're done, whatever is left over in that crock pot is going to be an extremely concentrated Venusian potion. I love that. Thank you. Now you have, uh, I I do a lot of tincturing mm -hmm. um, for magical purposes, not yeah. usually medicinal ones. Actually, right. I agree. Um, I love me some modern medicine. I love going to my cabinet and being able to select Tylenol instead of uh, making a decoction of like willow bark and oh, yeah, getting definitely. my aspirin from there. Um, no, thank you. I would like it to. I love a little pill. Um, I do love a little pill. Yeah. Uh, part of my problem, actually. Mm. Um, <laughs> uh, but you've made a fabulous tincture, which I'm like, I, I just got some fresh strawberries from the, from the store. And I'm so thirsty for this. Oh, yeah. Okay. Um, and it's this gorgeous strawberry elixir, which mm -hmm. I love. I love fruit elixirs, um, fruit tinctures. Um, but I, I like tincturing in general. How did you go about doing for our listeners um, mm -hmm. that strawberry tincture and what was in it and and what did it do? Well, I mean, I th I'm 
we did talk it wasn't about, really magical right it, it was actually to celebrate the summer solstice we talked about this in the summer episode briefly um this idea of taking a vodka and a mason jar filling it up filling up the mason jar with strawberries fresh cut washed strawberries um and then filling it up with vodka you can do this with pineapple you can do this with lemons you can do this with lavender you can do this with with most any fruits or edible herbs that you that you have you have the option to do this and of course it doesn't have to be vodka it can be if you're drinking it um but the whole point was we were going to be celebrating the the, the day it was, it was a a a summer solstice celebratory drink um what's really cool about this is literally it was 10 days i would say two weeks is i think a better a better amount but i was a little behind the times um a great way i literally would just took three mason jars filled them up each put them in, a, in my guest bathroom and shook them once a day that was it it was so easy and these are a little bit more long style brews as well um this is a type of beverage that you can then use an alcoholic serving you can use it as a type of potion depending on what you're mixing if it's strawberry um strawberry has several different associations especially depending on the folklore uh, and culture you're coming from strawberry can connect to the heart it can also connect to love um it can connect to uh there's the small connections to agriculture and in general because of the way in which the seeds on the outside so literally you could just buy a strawberry bury it and it would start sprouting on its own you don't you don't need to have the seeds disseminated in the same way um but there are a lot of ways in which that could be used for mostly love or heart health magic um I have a friend who had uh, a long, who had long COVID, um, had some serious damage to his heart, and if he were to say have a small dropper of that mixture every single day after I say put an incantation to help with heart health, that might be a medicinal that could be used that has a little bit well, it's less medicinal. It's more for like healing magic. Um, because I'm not expecting the strawberry to have some sort of like actual medicinal heart health to it um, but that's just a simple explanation of one that was used more for celebration means than for like magical means um, in my book i actually have several tinctures um, one is for uh, uh, making someone befuddled and confused and you would you would use it on a tag lock of them or put a few drops in their food i'm never suggesting you unknowingly put a potion in someone else's food or beverage Yes, that's drugging and illegal and dangerous. Mm -hmm. It would and we're be not, wrong. Yes, very wrong. Mm -hmm. um, and we're not suggesting you do that we're on not this podcast at all. What? Well, I would say what's what's in the in the potion, but listeners can go. Yes, I mean, it's your book to find out. It's a mixture of several things, but mostly it's like poppy seeds, blueberries, and I think there's a little bit of black salt in there as well. So oh, okay, um, so it's not um, nothing poisonous. Like, <laughs> oh, it's not like Datura. No, no, nothing I put that's going to be ingested in my book or that could be possibly ingested has anything that's poisonous. But um, the whole point is, is that like historically poppy seeds are are connected with confusion, befuddlement, um, sleep, sleepiness and, and mind uh mind befuddlement in general uh blueberries actually have a long history in folklore i believe over in uk where the idea was is if you wanted to confuse someone or kind of um muddle their mind you might 
toss some blueberries on someone's doorstep. They wouldn't notice, they wouldn't think about it, but that was, it was literally that just tossing blueberries on someone's doorstep. So I, I took these historical items and I put them together with a couple other things and you basically mash them all up. You put it in some vodka for, I want to say, I look, like to do a moon to moon period. So a full moon to mo full moon or new moon or sorry, dark moon to dark moon, depending on what the purpose is. Considering this has somewhat of a nefarious plan, I did do a dark moon to dark moon situation. Um, I've done something similar with protection uh, tincture as well, or protection elixir is what I call it. It's a liquid form of protection with vodka. Um, you can also use vinegar if you prefer to be alcohol-free. You can also use isopropic alcohol for a lot of these, just literally just 90% rubbing alcohol um, in a jar, and that might don't have- Don't drink them. Yeah, don't, don't, don't drink that one at all. And in fact, the protection one is not meant to be drunk because there's multiple things in there. It's meant to be put on amulets, put on paper, um, put on charms, maybe dropped at the four corners of your apartment complex or your home. It's a liquid that, that can be used in almost any form outside of ingestion, maybe a bath, maybe a sigil, maybe a stone you want to carry in your pocket that you have that you have charged with this liquid. So tinctures can be used for not just ingesting, especially if there's you know, things you don't want to ingest, um, but they can be put on things. They can be um, put on leaves, soaked in fabric. Um, if you wanted to say, like, take a charm bag, that's just a simple muslin charm bag, and you wanted to, say, dip it into this, this alcohol-based tincture, say it's an alcohol-based tincture that has a lot of, say, dragon's blood in there, you can then dye that little charm bag a beautiful shade of brownish red, and it really kind of soak up the actual will and desire that's in that tincture. One that you briefly mentioned mm -hmm. uh, was an oximal or a vinegar-based tincture. Yes. Um, do you use those often? I don't use them super often, but mm -hmm. I do put vinegar in a lot of like my washings. So yeah. like floor washes. Mm -hmm. um, like white uh, vinegar? Yes, mm -hmm. like distilled white vinegar. Um, I even use it a lot in my... Um, my clothes, I, I live in Florida. So a lot of the times like clothes have a tendency to mildew if mm -hmm. you forget to leave them in the, the washer, in the washer overnight, or sometimes even just with age, like clothes sometimes start to pick up like a mildewy kind of smell mm -hmm. to them. And uh, one way to combat that is uh, that I found very effective is, is vinegar mm. um, and using it as like a pre-wash kind of thing. Um, Confuse yeah. your enemies and get mildew out of your clothes. Right, exactly. Um, and then another one that I admittedly have never used mm -hmm. is um, a glycerin. And that never. is where you take uh, glycerin. They don't have the same shelf life yeah. as a tincture, but um, they're really effective, especially for people who uh, are alcohol-free. Yeah. Um, glycerates uh, extract things uh, very similarly to the way alcohol does, even though mm -hmm. it's not a type of alcohol. Um, but they don't have the same kind of uh, shelf life. But glycerin right. does taste kind of sweet. So, and it makes really good uh, special effects makeup movie tears. Oh, didn't know that. And sweat. The next thing that we have on our list is mm -hmm. oils or oils. Um Oohs, uh, hot and cold infusions. Can you mm -hmm. tell me about them? And why Absolutely. would you use something different? 
absolutely hot and cold infusions for oils and some people might not even be like oils why is that under potions because we are going off of the i mean we want to cover a lot of things but in general we are going off of the direct you know dictionary definition a liquid with healing magical or poisonous properties so that means that oils still count under the idea of of potion making at least for this podcast they do um (laughs) hot or cold infusions so this is really interesting so oils are one of those things where naturally oil will over time extract things from plant materia in general it will it's going to um but you can speed up this process along by using heat uh i have done cold infusions where i take a jar of oil and then um herbs or plant material that's going inside i will put it in a window because i've seen like store in a dry dark place and shake daily for six months and i'm like "Mm, okay that's an idea Um, I'm going to put it in the window so it gets a little bit of sun every day. And the sun that shines through just kind of helps edge that extraction along, (laughs) edge it along and, and, and get it, I know, get it to the climax. So I will shake it daily and I will allow that to kind of do a cold infusion. And it means I get to basically, um, uh, abstain from the stovetop, abstain from, from dirting up a lot of other, uh, kitchen materials, uh, a hot infusion though or extraction though is when you do say like with a double boiler um over boiling water i might use the oil and then the plant material in a double boiler and then boil it for anywhere from two to possibly four or even six hours depending on what you're trying to get out of it the thing with with these are the water will evaporate but the oil does not so as it is cooking as it is as it is extracting through heat you're able to make that magical oil for whatever purpose in a singular time period versus over a time period sometimes that's more necessary if you have a time crunch um if you aren't following moon cycles as much if you want to make an entire oil on a singular very specific planetary day or on a a dark moon or full moon um that's one of the reasons why i like to make things sit in cold infusion from full moon to full moon or i call it moon to moon uh that's a four week ish period versus you know nursing it over a stove top for say four to six hours depending on how much time you have um and what's really cool is is honestly if you wanted to nurse that over a stove top for a period of time this is an opportunity for you to really dive deep into the whole the identity of the witch the the uh, commitment to giving your time to stand over and stir regularly, to chant over, um, that would definitely be a great way with hot extraction as well. Gives the whole meaning to to double, double toil and trouble. I know, right? And I think a lot of the times these things can be really useful. Of course, you can pour them into salves. Mm-hmm. Um, I have, which hasn't been released, so maybe, maybe I shouldn't talk too much about it, but I have a very special... Um, which has been in the works for over a year now, lipstick formula that has is imbued with a magical oil that I will talk more about at a later time. But it is a, a, a lipstick, which is fabulous, um, and it is infused with a very interesting magical oil to be used in a, a very specific way. How fascinating. Well, it's because I've made several ointments and it's actually quite simple. The The recipe that I got for my my uh, ointment making process was from the Poison Path Herbal 
uh, Kobe Michael's book. And it's, it's, I believe it's for one cup of oil, one fourth cup of beeswax. Um, and so for me, ultimately, if I want to make a full cup of oil, and I use one cup of beeswax, that's actually a lot of product. So you can dwindle it down even more. Um, I think if more people realized how simple many of these things were to make, we as witches could be so much more invested into creating a lot of our own selves. Again, if you're working with poisonous plants, stick with people whose jobs are to understand how to process and work with those ingredients so much more. Um, but if you want to make, say, like a lemon, like a, I don't know, a, a lemon balm, uh, simple oil at home and put that into a, a salve with some wax to put on some bruises or to put on some sore muscles, um, this is a, a great thing to make at home and, and to, to build at home. I've made some healing salves with actually with some cannabis uh, crystals. And I mean, it's got a scent, but man, I will put it on a topical area and it absolutely helps with some of that topical pain, um, which I'm really, really grateful for. Cause sometimes, you know, you got those sort of muscles that happens. She doesn't mind smelling a little dinky every once in a while, so no, I've heard. Absolutely, absolutely. And and magical oils have so many other sources in witchcraft outside of just cells. We also have intention candles, like putting a, a oil on a candle and then either rolling it in certain herbs or just anointing the candle with the magical intention oil itself. I myself have a, a pretty much an all-purpose witch's oil called cunning oil in my book. And I've spoken about it on the podcast before. So anytime I do spell work or candle work, I usually use cunning oil as the anointing oil on my candles. Pretty much for honestly any reason, because it's a magical intention oil. I don't have a healing oil, a cursing oil, a banishing oil, a money oil, uh, a farting oil. Like I don't have like all, <laughs> like all the different types. I have the cunning oil, and it's used uh -huh. for cunning work because I am a cunning man. So that 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 works best for me. Yeah, no, absolutely. Instead of having the the sixty million different uh, mm -hmm. fixed oils, uh, you just have the one good one to call by. Exactly, exactly. The final thing that I wanted to talk about, which I'll briefly mention, mm. is a spagyric. So, a what? Uh, a spagyric. Spagyric. Spa. Spa. Jeer. Jeer. Ick. Spagyrocic. Mm hmm. That's uh -huh. correct. Okay. Uh, like CM and Exactly. Um, like jalapeno. Yeah, right. <laughs> um, Aspagyric is a alchemical process in which you are taking a plant um, and basically getting it back to its uh, extracting its sulfur, salt, and mercury uh, from the plant, which are the primal uh, bits of the plant itself, and then coalescing them in, in the the principles of alchemy where you mm -hmm. separate things out get rid of the the things that you don't want um and then adding them back in together um a spagyric is relatively simple to make i say as somebody who also will distill my own uh liquor or uh my own wine um but I won't go into uh, the entire process here, but it is a really interesting thing to do where you essentially soak 
um, a, a plant in a tincture. So you tincture it first and then you take that plant and you burn it down, you separate out some things, you basically produce a salt that gets re-added in uh, to the tincture and then you'll also have um, uh, another component to it that you'll add in there as well. And this creates a spagyric, um, which is used for a number of different things. You can make it with basically any plant material. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, I just find them very fascinating. I don't think that everything has to be done that way. Mm -hmm. um, but for one example, um, this isn't a spagyric, but uh, lemon balm, for example, is is like reputed um, in alchemy uh, alchemy as a incredibly uh, amazing and like highly revered uh, plant material to work with for like rejuvenation and health. Um, one account tells of a man who had procured the the um, what's called the the ends melisse or the the uh, prima material of the melissa plant which is the the name for lemon balm oh that's new information to me <laughs> uh yeah the melissa uh, melissa so melissa officinalis melissa oh. as, as in b um because it, it's beloved by bees so it's also sometimes called bee balm even though okay. a lot of people assume uh, associate that with a different plant yeah uh, but lemon balm, which smells amazing, if you've ever smelled it, it mm -hmm. tastes great. It's really wonderful. But uh, the the ends melisse uh, is a not a, a spagyric. It's a completely different alchemical process. But you could make a spagyric from it by tincturing it, burning down some of these plant materials, coalescing them into another thing. Um, we'll go into a lot of that in my lecture, supping hell broth in the Devil's Garden, uh, Potion Craft of the Witch's Art at Salem Witchcraft and Folklore Festival, uh, August 4th. It's giving me Breaking Bad, but with Austin and witches. <laughs> Absolutely. And oh, how I live. <laughs> the way you were describing the 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 burning off and the turning into salt, then reducing down. Yeah. Like, I feel like this is giving me... Meth lab. Meth She's lab. Like, it's giving meth <laughs> it's lab. It's giving meth lab. Well, I do live in Florida for a reason. That's right. That's right. That's right. You've been listening to Southern Bramble, a podcast of crooked ways. I'm Marshall, the Witch of Southern Light. You can find me on uh, TikTok, Instagram, and Threads. And now and, Threads. Now Threads. We forgot to talk about it. Oh yeah, Threads. Um, the new Twitter replacement. Um, which There's I. There's no I'm, porn. I'm I know so that's the one thing that's like, there's no nudity. No, um, it's not that it's not that I'm like a porn fanatic, but I felt like if we're going to, if we're going to replace Twitter, you can't take away pretty much one of the biggest features that a huge portion of people probably use it for. Yeah. The reason that everyone loves Twitter is because porn. Yeah. You can post it. Which yeah. I don't. Just so in case you were gonna go look at my page, I don't. I don't personally post that. I have that for an all. No, no. I see. You know what? Let's move on. I don't need to tell people what I want. <laughs> Where else can people find you, Marshall? <laughs> yes, you can find me on a Twitter at MarshallWSL. You can find uh, my artwork um, on my Redbubble shop for uh, art and merchandise on the link tree in my bio. You can find um, my 
PDF grimoire pages on my Etsy shop also in the link to my bio. If you would like to, please buy my book and support my work, Cunning Words, A Grimoire of Tales and Magic, where you will have several potions, oils, and tinctures, as we discussed here in today's episode. And um, lastly... Uh, if you would like to read my blog on Pathios Pagan, check out the Southern Light Diaries. Again, also linked in the tree, link tree and all of my bios on all of my platforms. And I'm Austin Bain X Bramble on Instagram. You can catch my lecture if you liked what you were uh, listening to today, Supping Hellbroth in the Devil's Garden. Potion Craft of the Witch's Art at Salem Folklore and Witchcraft Festival, Salem Witchcraft and Folklore Festival, August 4th. Um, uh, you can get uh, three-day passes, one-day passes, or you can get individual classes at SalemWitchFest.com. You can also find me and all my womenly wares at BaneXBramble.com, including perfumes, effigies, statuary, formulas, potions, tinctures, uh, powders, perfumes, etc., etc., etc. I have it all. Um, yeah, and that's it. Thanks, everybody. At this time, I'd like to thank our tier three supporters Jason, Nico, Colby, Callie, Johnny, Jamisa, Jennifer. Cindy, The Witch of Patapsco Forest, John, Giles, Jennifer, Shauna, The Modern Babylon, V, Lisa, Ariella, Keith, Jens, Adity, Tracy, Timothy, Witch Rafa, Witch, Ra Witch Rafa, The Lady Ghost, and Key Archibald. Thank you so much for your support. We truly couldn't do this without you. Mm -hmm.